0: You're listening to the Westminster Pulpit, an online ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at www.westpca.com. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and also Romans 6. Put your finger in Romans 6, starting with 1 Corinthians 1. This evening we are focusing our thoughts on Jesus' death, His cross, His redemptive sufferings for His people. And we want to look especially at the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Often we think of the power of the cross in securing our forgiveness from our sins, and that's certainly true. But tonight we want to look at the cross's power in breaking sin's bondage within Those two aspects of salvation are like twin pillars, deliverance from the penalty of sin and deliverance from the power of sin. Praise God that Jesus accomplished both of these mighty victories on the cross. But our aim tonight is to meditate on the power of the cross in delivering us from sin's bondage. Let us listen to God's Word. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. for it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, through its wisdom, for since, in the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom, did not know him. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Then looking back to Romans 6, verses 5 and 6, which will be the central text we'll look at tonight. Romans 6, verse 5, If we have been united with Christ, Him, like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. G.K. Chesterton, the famous writer, likens the power of sin in the believer's life to a rhinoceros coming into a restaurant. Kids, you can imagine what that might be like, I would guess. Think of sitting at McDonald's munching on your burger, and someone opens the door and lets in a rhinoceros. Even if he wasn't on a rampage, I'm sure he would make quite a mess. Well, Chesterton says this about that rhinoceros. He may have great power, but he has no rightful authority. That's how we might summarize the nature of remaining sin in the believer's life because of what Jesus did on the cross. Power, yes, to some degree still, but no rightful authority in our lives. In fact, sin's power is a sin that is decisively broken by the cross of Jesus Christ, and so as a result we as believers can actually make headway in overcoming sin's dominion and power, not by our own strength, but by Christ's power. You might say that by the power of the cross, the Christian can begin to lasso that rhinoceros and begin to even clean up the restaurant of our lives, so to speak. That is what we want to look at tonight, the power of the cross in uprooting sin in our lives. And I would like us to look at that in terms of two main points and then three points of application to us. Our first point, again from Romans 6, verse 6, is this, through the cross, every believer has died to sin. We just read, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Most of us have heard and have sung that great spiritual, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And the intent of that song is to imagine yourself back there watching Jesus put on the cross. It causes us to tremble. Were you there? And we might make another application of that hymn and say, Well, were you there in the sense of, Would your sins have put Him on the cross? And we would say, Yes, in that sense I was there too. It was it was my sins that put Him there. But there's another way to answer that question that we find here in Romans 6. Were you there at the cross? Yes. Amazingly, we're told here that by God's grace, the Word of God tells me that in a mysterious way, I as a believer, I am in union with Jesus Christ and in the death He died to sin, I also died to sin. Were you there? Yes, I was there. We know that our old self was crucified with Him on the cross. This verse says that the old self, or we might call it remaining sin, was crucified with Jesus Christ. So, If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, if you are a a Christian, not only have you been forgiven of your sins, which is wonderful and important, and you've been given new life in Christ, but also there is this clear teaching that the Bible sets forth that you died with Jesus Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. And then verse 6 goes on to describe the incredible results of this death with Christ, it list three parallel statements here about, <coughs> excuse me, about this death on the cross. So that it says, number one, the body of sin might be done away with. So the body of sin, and Paul envisions here the body as the vehicle and an instrument for sin. And now there's this decisive change because we've been crucified with Christ, so that we are no longer bound to be sin's vehicle, sin's instrument so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Christians are no longer slaves to sin. And then it's further explained by the third clause, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because, verse 7, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We died with Christ. It means we've been freed from sin. Now, that's the reality. That is true for every believer, but but don't you and I read that and in one sense say, it sure doesn't feel that way, does it? Sin still feels very much alive in my heart and in my life, and I feel very much alive to sin. Sin is still powerful. I still face temptation. How can this verse be true? Well, this verse is telling us that sin has been dealt a death blow, a fatal wound by the cross of Christ. But, of course, the remnants of sin are still there. That's why there is this ongoing battle with sin, and we'll get to that. But the point is that this passage is telling us that something incredible, something very decisive has happened in us by the power of the cross. We died to sin in Christ, and we rose again in His resurrection. (coughs) Excuse me. We might compare it to the status of a slave after the Civil War in uh, the South. Of course, after the Civil War, these slaves had been declared free, but many of them had few options, and they didn't really know anything else and didn't know what to do, and so for a time, they went on acting as slaves. They lived as though they were still slaves, even though the Emancipation Proclamation had been proclaimed and the Civil War was over and they were all free. They were acting like slaves. Well, Christians, we're told here, have been set free from sin. We might say that's our status legally and positionally in Jesus Christ, but practically we will be working that out for the rest of our lives As we put sin to death day by day by the power of the cross. Well, this brings us to the second main point. This death to sin is the basis of our fight against sin. This death to sin by the power of Jesus Christ and the cross is the basis of our ongoing fight against sin. Verses 5, 6, and 7, which we read, are part of the answer to the question that begins with verse 1 of Romans 6. And Paul sets it forth for us here. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? You see what Paul is saying here. People were arguing with Paul about grace, and they were saying, Paul, you say... Salvation is by grace, a free gift of God received through faith in Christ. You don't earn it, you don't merit it, you don't have to work your way to it. Well, Paul, if you say that, then you must be saying that it's okay to go on sinning, since it's all by grace, in fact. And in beyond that, you must be saying that the more sin, the merrier, so to speak. Since sin somehow is always covered by grace and that somehow uh, gives us grace, then let us sin that grace might increase. Some people may have actually been saying that in Rome. But Paul's argument here shows that that's nonsense. That's not in keeping with what the Bible says about our relationship to sin. He says, grace doesn't lead to sin. No, in fact, it's the opposite. Grace transforms us. How can we who died to sin live any longer in sin? We died to sin, so how can we live in it? So the point is this. Our death to sin is the basis of our lifelong warfare against sin. Maybe we could make a a comparison with the Declaration of Independence. It maybe isn't an exact correspondence here, but when the Founding Fathers passed the Declaration of Independence in, in July of 1776, we know that that was the beginning of war. That was the beginning of seven years of war with Britain for our independence. You might say that Declaration of Independence was the legal basis of that war. It was a position that had to be worked out in practice by warfare. Well, in in an even more foundational way, Christ's death is the power that sets us free to fight sin and increasingly to have victory over sin in our lives. Think of it this way, any effort to fight sin that is not based on the cross will be merely superficial. It will only be a matter of externals. It won't get to the root of sin. It doesn't go to the heart of things. Whether it's a matter of religious good works you're trying to do, or humanistic morality, or even legalism in the church that sets up human rules, Anything that is not linked to the power of the cross of Jesus Christ by faith will never get to the root of our sin. Getting back to that rhinoceros, trying to use the law to stop that rhino would be like slapping him on his hide with a blade of grass. Can you imagine how ineffective that would be? It's kind of an extreme example, isn't it? But instead, the power of Christ's cross is, deals sin, a decisive blow. And then the whole Christian life is a continual outworking of what God has already worked in Jesus Christ and in His mighty cross and resurrection from the grave. And we enter that by faith, and we believe it, and we experience it. We die to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Well, the answer Paul envisions there is we can't. There's a whole new reality, a whole new life is at work within us because what Jesus did on the cross. I like the illustration based on World War II GIs taking islands in the Pacific as they advanced, and the troops would make their amphibious assault on the Japanese positions, often at great cost. And finally, there would be victory to some degree, and the American flag would be raised. And the striking image of of raising the flag at Iwo Jima comes to our mind. But then depending on the island, of course, there would need to be a mopping up operation, right? And if there was a lot of jungle on the island, the enemy might hide there for weeks or even months. In fact, there are accounts that went decades after World, World War II were over about Japanese soldiers being found in some remote island somewhere hiding out in the jungle and they thought the war, the war was still going on. They, haven't been, they hadn't been mopped up yet. They had to be told, the war is over. Well, for Christians, the island of our lives have been decisively captured by Jesus Christ. He's mounted the command center. He's raised His flag over our hearts. He's taken control. We belong to Him. The victory has been secured. We died with Him. We've been raised with Him. We belong to Him. And the rest of our lives on this earth, until glory, the rest of our lives, God is in the process of mopping up the remnants of our sin in our lives to the glory of His name. And praise be to God, we cooperate with Him in that process of getting rid of the remnants of sin and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, our death to sin by the power of the cross is the foundation. It's the basis for our ongoing fight against remaining sin. Three applications, then, of these points. The first is this, by faith in Christ and His cross, we must reckon ourselves dead to sin. If all this that we've seen is true, how do we respond? First of all, we count ourselves, we reckon ourselves. It's it's an accounting term. It's like you credit it to your account. Verse 11 says that, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If all this is true, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, the starting point we're told here is to believe it, not just to believe it abstractly, but to believe it is true for you, for me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe His death covered your sins and gave you eternal life, then believe also This truth we read here about the fact that you died with Him and were raised with Him. So even though it may not feel like it, often it doesn't feel like it. Sin may feel very much alive. You can't go by your feelings. You have to go by the Word of God. In Jesus Christ, it is true. Count yourself dead to sin. And then as you believe and stand on God's Word, you will slowly make progress in battling sin. Yes, it's two steps forward, one step back. Yes, there are many ups and downs. Yes, sin so easily besets us. But that's the way ahead. It's like the ugly duckling. Kids remember that story about the funny little duck, funny-looking little duck, and all the other ducklings made fun of him, I think, as the story goes, because of his looks and his life was tough. But one day, after he'd grown up pretty much, he looked into the water and saw his reflection, and what did he see? there was a swan looking back at him, and he realized, oh, this is why life has been different. I'm not a duck. I'm a swan. And and the story ends with his life being transformed. He goes off and joins the swans. And Romans 6 is telling you that you are no longer a duckling. No, you are a swan. You have died and been raised with Christ. Now live that way. Live in the light of your new identity in Jesus Christ." Yes, the habits of sin do not go away easily. Yes, this entire life is one of struggle and suffering and temptations within and without. But count yourself dead to sin by faith in Jesus Christ and His Word. Secondly, the application is this, do not let sin reign. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. Doesn't this command put here right in the middle of Romans 6, doesn't this encourage us that we're on the right track and understanding the first part of what chapter 6 says? Even though Paul has said we've been freed from sin, he still puts out this command. We, we still need to be told to keep fighting sin. Don't let sin reign. If the fact that we died to sin meant that there was no temptation to sin anymore, Paul wouldn't need to put this in there. We still need to be warned about the struggle with evil desire here. What does it mean then to not let sin reign? It means to resist sin, to turn away from every inclination and temptation to sin, every specific temptation in your life. You just can't resist sin abstractly. Sin is resisted in very concrete ways in your daily life. In other words, to put it in Paul's words elsewhere, it's to put to death sin because we've died. Christ. And again, not in our own strength but in dependence on the power of Jesus Christ and His cross. Here's a more complete description that I put down, resisting sin or not letting sin reign is a painful yet ultimately joyful process of deliberately rejecting sin and instead being satisfied with the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that once more. This is what Jesus calls us to because we belong to Him. It's a painful yet ultimately joyful process of deliberately rejecting sin and instead being satisfied with the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus in the garden. Think of Him praying. Think of Him with the Father's will before Him to go to the cross to drink the cup of wrath. Yes, we know Jesus was not guilty of sin, but the powerful temptation He faced there. It's like the temptation that we face, but I'm sure worse. And, And there He was, wrestling in prayer, in agony of spirit at times, sweating great drops as of like blood, facing this choice of the cup of God's wrath. And yet, Hebrews says at the same time, for the joy set before Him, so He was looking beyond the cross to the joy of what He was accomplishing. And there we have a paradigm for our lives, a pattern for what it, what it is like to not let sin reign. Yes, we don't do it perfectly like He does it in any sense of the word, but He's blazed the way for us. That's what it feels like. It's not all sweet and roses and easy. No, it's, it's fighting. It's drops of blood. It's an agony of spirit, and yet it's in the power that Jesus Christ gives. I ask you, what kind of sin do you need to not let reign in your life this week, tomorrow? Anger, gossip, worry, grumbling, lust, pride, approval-seeking, wanting to be in control, materialism, that's been shaken by a lot of Americans, hasn't it, our tendency to materialism, but it's still there. Laziness, wrong priorities, failing to pray, forgetting to give thanks to the Lord, discontentment, being over-concerned with your appearance, the list goes on and on. Those are the trenches where the battle for putting death to sin takes place. Do not let sin reign means applying this truth to the very small daily choices, And battles in our lives. Maybe this evening as we partake of communion and as you meditate, you can use that opportunity to some extent to go to God in prayer and in repentance and independence and new resolve to fight the battle of sin in some particular area of your life. And remember, Jesus not only forgives us of our sins, but He also gives us new power to change, to overcome sin. Even the most deeply ingrained sins that we face by the power of His cross. Well, or third application is this, offer yourselves to God. Verse 13, the final application Paul brings, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. This is the positive side, isn't it? The negative side is don't let sin reign. The positive side is offer yourselves to God. Every choice is not only about sin. Every choice, everything we do, every motivation is also about God. Are we living toward God or not? And if you belong to Jesus Christ, then more and more we are called to offer ourselves to Him. It's not just about turning away from sin. It's about glorifying God, about enjoying and treasuring Jesus Christ as our Lord. You know, sin plays this bait-and-switch game with us. Sin allures us with temptation and makes it seem all wonderful, but hides the true, painful, and destructive consequence of sin. That's the biggest bait-and-switch game there is on this earth, and it's by the power of sin. But by contrast, God's way is often hard and painful, and mortifying to sinful self, but in the end, his way leads to life, and joy, and peace. So our fight with sin involves a repeated offering of ourselves to God. Maybe for you right now, that choice to give yourself to God is in the midst of some very trying circumstances. Maybe the way of the cross for you and where you're going to experience the power of the cross right now in your life means a daily reality of heartache of some kind, of chronic loneliness or misunderstanding or heartbreak or pain. Maybe it feels so costly you don't know whether you can go on. Well, remember, Jesus is offering you Himself. You offer yourself to Him and Jesus takes you and gives you grace and gives you Himself. So, as Christians, we are like willing slaves. You know, in Deuteronomy 15, it describes the procedure for a slave who wants to be a slave for life. And you think, who wants to be a slave for life? Well, there was that, uh, the slave who really loved his master so much and wanted to continue to be a slave. There was provision made for that. If the slave wanted to stay a slave out of love and devotion to his master, they were to take an, 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 an awl, a sharp uh, pointed thing, and pierce that slave's ear, put him up against the door and pierce the slave's ear. And that pierced ear was the sign of that slave's permanent slavery. We might say a slavery of devotion, a slavery of love. And so, we offer ourselves to our Savior, and the cross may pierce and will pierce, you can be sure, the most prized possessions, the most prized treasures that we have in this life. But we offer them all up to His glory, and we offer ourselves to Him as alive from the dead because the power of the cross gives us power to be transformed from within. Let us pray. Father, we do marvel about that great transaction that took place on the cross. Our sins on Christ, his righteousness to us. Oh, the deep mystery. And yet you did it. We say hallelujah. We thank you for the power of the cross. May that power be real to each one of us. And if anyone is here who hasn't entered in through faith in Jesus, may they do so while the day of salvation is here. We pray in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.